Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Lisa Senecal and Maya May, the hosts of We're Speaking, which will be returning to LPTV very soon. Lisa and Maya, welcome to the show. Hey, Reed. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. So today on the show, guys, I want to talk about, for lack of a better way to put it, the absolute insanity that we're seeing going on in Texas right now. So let's get into it. Senate Bill 8. So guys, on September 1st, SB 8 went into effect in Texas, and the law bans abortions after only six weeks of pregnancy. Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed the law earlier this year, back in May. Furthermore, the law deputizes private citizens by allowing them to sue abortion providers and anyone else who helps a woman get an abortion, ranging from those who may provide financial assistance to those who may give a woman a ride to a clinic, even if that rides in an Uber. Anyone who successfully sues an abortion provider could be awarded at least $10,000. The law makes no exemptions for cases involving rape and incest. And also, just before midnight on September 1st, the United States Supreme Court, in an unprecedented fashion, refused to block the Texas law in a 5-4 decision, with Chief Justice John Roberts joining the dissent. So guys, short of blowing out my own speakers and microphone on this topic, because I understand that it is very, very near and dear to so many hearts, you know, what I see is there are things. There's obviously the abortion piece, which we'll discuss. To me, too, though, it's a further erosion of Republicans, small d Democratic nature, and their perfect willingness to turn citizens against one another. And they have now enshrined in state law, for lack of a better way to put it, vigilantism. So, Lisa, what the hell is going on here? We really have to zoom back and look at this broadly because it isn't just about abortion in Texas. It's not about just abortion across the country. This is part of the march toward an autocracy that we have been on for years now. And this is that erosion of personal liberties, government being in the business of trying to turn private citizens against one another, ratting each other out for the benefit of the state. It is another piece that is moving us closer to losing our small d democracy and furthering the aims of Trumpism. So, Maya, you know, the one thing that Lisa just noted was the idea that, you know, if you're going to pass legislation or sign an executive order, whatever you're going to do under the name of the government or the state, the idea that it's for the benefit of the state or for the benefit of the people of the state. Now, the only people that appear to benefit from this are people who probably perch themselves outside a clinic harassing women on the way in and women on the way out and anybody who may happen to work there. That and I think the people who benefit from confusion and fear, which goes back to what Lisa is saying about this being a march towards autocracy. If you can pit citizens against each other and you have then people focusing on the symptoms as opposed to the root causes of what's happening right now. And so there's just a lot of infighting, a lot of fear. And that part to me is the part that's most concerning, because if we are constantly living in fear, how then do we become proactive about what needs to be done so that when the midterms come, that we don't have to worry about this? That's the whole idea. And I think you guys have really hit the nail on the head, which is this is the next step. This is not the last thing. This isn't even remotely the last thing. And 
it never stops with, okay, now we've done it to women. Now we've done it to doctors or medical professionals who may provide these services. I mean, you all tell me now, I've got two daughters. I'm not even entirely sure my wife knew she was pregnant before six weeks. They clearly did it in such a way that by the time a woman may know she is carrying, if there's a necessity, it's too late to do anything about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And how do you even go to find out how far along you are without potentially triggering that someone assisted you in getting where you needed to go, the same place that you might go to have a pregnancy test is the same place that you would go potentially to terminate a pregnancy. The gray areas in this, the ability to report on people who aren't even doing the thing that the law covers is really staggering. And I think it goes to what Maya was saying. This is about creating a culture of fear. Everybody is supposed to be afraid of taking a step that might get them sideways with the state and the people who are willing to report to the state. Abbott just signed the voter suppression law, and it has the same kind of reporting on one another elements in that law that this does. You're going to have poll watchers. They don't have to be legitimate poll watchers. They can be completely partisan. And they can stand there close enough to see who you're voting for. And they can be armed. So you don't even have to be doing the thing to be afraid. You have to think about, what if I want to vote? What is that going to mean? Maybe I'll stay home because I don't want to have to deal with the potential of having an armed person standing over my shoulder watching to see if I don't vote the way they would want me to. And what's that going to mean for my safety? I think you're absolutely right, guys. I mean, this whole ball game, Maya, comes down to the idea that we do not want you to participate in civic life, in political life, or frankly, even your personal life at this point without permission from the state. And just, guys, as a former Republican, which I know you guys are not tarred with that emblem, we are so far from what an old line Republican ideal would be, the keystone of which was individual liberty right? The individual before the state first and always. And now, Maya, you know, we used to say, you know, take the worst thing, multiply it by two. And that's probably where we are. Yeah. Times 10. Yeah. Ad infinitum. And, you know, what's interesting, though, is I have to say, like, the GOP is crushing it right now as far as weaponizing people. And all of these elements require them to mobilize their base, right? So it's like the poll watchers getting involved, getting involved at like the local like school board, We just saw something today about like they give them a speech like you don't even have to be a dad to go to the local school board election. And so they're really good about getting their entire base engaged. And so what ends up happening is that Democrats become very reactionary and they're spreading it out. So it's like you're now having to deal with voting rights and you're having to deal with abortion rights and you're having to deal with all of these different things, making it really difficult to stay ahead of the game. And so I think that's part of the problem right now is not being able to actually pause things because it's coming at you so quickly. And that's the other part, too. I mean, I saw a lot of coverage after SB8 went into effect about, you know, the Supreme Court and people are gnashing their teeth. And like one, it was a 6-3 court. Like, no one should have been surprised. Two, this goes to show you again, as I've said repeatedly, and the listeners are probably sick of me saying it now, but I'll say it until everybody believes it. The Republicans play the long game. They play the long game when it comes to these fundamental policy and culture war issues. 
the Democrats can't get their act together on. And that's your point, Maya. They're always in reaction mode. So now it was like, okay, well, here's a grenade. We're going to throw it at you. You can look at it for a while. And what happens? It blows up on them and they can't figure out why. My thing is, is like someone in the Democratic superstructure knew that this bill like goes back to May, right? Like somebody knew this was coming down. Somebody knew it was coming down in May. It should not have been a surprise to anybody. I mean, there are organizations who have been dedicated to choice for decades. Like, where the hell are they? I feel like America has a problem-solving issue. A problem-solving problem? Problem-solving problem, yeah. The ability to look at all variables of an equation and decide what the three different, four different, five different outcomes are and then analyze those outcomes and then deploy whatever seems to be the best strategy. It seems like the information and the data comes in. Everyone becomes very overwhelmed. We have the pandemic on top of all of this, right? We're not even talking about COVID right now. That's how much stuff is going on. And I think because we aren't able to analyze things from almost like a systems thinking perspective where we can say this happens and this happens and if we change this there, like that's just not happening anymore. It's like everybody's taking individual issues as a siloed issue and then none of the issues are being resolved. And so. That, to me, is a big part of the problem right now. It's interesting you say that because Charity Dean, who's been a guest on the podcast and other places, who's a main character in Michael Lewis's book, Premonition, about the pandemic last year, former county health officer in Santa Barbara, former deputy health officer for the state of California, said the same thing, is that COVID has been a systems failure. All of the systems that were supposed to be in place to advise of these things, to mitigate these things, to take action against these things just failed. And now it seems that, Maya, to your point, that democracy as a system is blinking red in a big hurry, too. Lisa, let me ask you this. So on this SBA thing, you know, there's been a lot of kicking and screaming by the Republicans saying this is about saving the children, which appears to be, you know, one of those things. It's like once the child has arrived in the world, kids on their own, kids died earlier this year in Texas because of a grid that was disconnected from the East and West Coast because the Texas power companies wanted to be completely deregulated. And when a winter storm hit that they weren't expecting, they failed miserably. People died. 59 kids have died of COVID in Texas. Kids' school years are all screwed up for the now going on third school year. And it's all about the kids. This sure as hell doesn't feel like it. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's just such utter bullshit to say that this is about protecting children. I mean, kids are the ones who die in school shootings. So you expand open carry laws and flood even more guns into the system. Kids are the ones in the school who are now contracting and are the spreaders of COVID. So you fight wearing masks. It's not about the kids. And this new law, SB8, that doesn't have an exception for rape or incest. It's not adults who are the victims of incest who are getting pregnant. Those are children too. Who the hell's looking out for those kids? We now have a law in Texas that if a girl is molested by a relative and becomes pregnant, she has to worry that she's putting a $10,000 bounty on her parents' heads if she wants to talk to them about how her uncle got her pregnant because he's been raping her. It is astounding that Greg Abbott can say this with a straight face and that people will sit there and nod in agreement because they have been conditioned now to stop thinking and just reflexively agree with 
white men who are restricting the liberties of women, people of color, and members of the LGBTQ community. And you can see that happen in every authoritarian country that exists now or has existed. Those are the folks that lose their rights. I mean, Maya, let me ask you this, because, you know, there's the incest piece, but there's also the rape piece. And I don't want to underply that, right? I mean, I cannot, I have two daughters and I cannot imagine. To think about it just enrages me, even conceptually. But, you know, what if it was Greg Abbott's daughter? What if it was one of these Republican legislators' daughters, these Republican state senators' daughters, who had been raped and didn't know that she was pregnant until seven weeks after the pregnancy? Do you believe that they're really going to abide by the same rules as they require the 14 million women in Texas? Well, first of all, Abbott said today that they were just going to eliminate rape. That was going to be the number right. one priority. Right. So there just right. won't be any rapists. And the, and the purple squirrel people will be coming to visit us next week as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. So as somebody who lived in Argentina where abortion was illegal and now it is legal, legalized abortion, I can tell you that they always find a way. The middle class and upper middle class always finds a way to access abortion. It was readily available when I lived there. And it's so horrifying that I don't even like to think about that part of things. Like, I know we're talking about it here, but it's like one of those things that I think we try to keep in the distance. No one wants to think about either a child being raped and then having to face the prospect of carrying that child to term, because that's the other piece of this. Are we going to force somebody to carry this child to term? And as you mentioned earlier, Reed, you know, a lot of people don't know they're pregnant. I have a friend. She's 44. She's pregnant with her first child. She just had the baby. And she didn't know until she was 20 weeks pregnant. She just thought she had a stomach ache. So <laughs> it's a hell of a stomach ache. <laughs> but your point is well taken, right? I mean, as you all know, like every woman is different. Every pregnancy is different, right? Everyone shows differently. Everyone reacts differently. Everyone's hormones are different. And so it's one of those things too, right? What they are saying is we believe in individual liberty, but not when it comes to you. You know, there was a guy in Germany, and we always make connections back to Germany. A guy named Martin Niemöller, and he's most famous for this quotation, says, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. So I guess my question is here, guys, is how do we get Americans fired up about the political process that what we're seeing regardless of what the next outrage is, is worthy of standing up and saying, absolutely not, not one step back, not one step further back. How do we do that? You know, everyone says, well, I'm exhausted. Okay, that's fine. My guess is you're not as exhausted as an ICU nurse or someone who had to work two shifts at Walmart, but okay, you're exhausted. I get it. The last year and a half has been incredibly difficult. How do we get anybody to care? Yeah, I mean, it's hard and people are exhausted. And I get that. But my God, you can either get more exhausted now and work your ass off between now and the midterm elections, or you can be permanently exhausted watching what has happened to our country and living under the type of laws that are getting passed in Texas or with leaders like Ron DeSantis in Florida. This is where we're headed. And I think part of our failing, and I think it's a huge failing of the media, is that we do treat all of these things as siloed. They're all isolated. You know, it's things that are happening at school boards. Isn't that terrible? That's happening. 
this law, isn't that terrible? Voting restrictions, isn't that terrible? These aren't independent of one another. These are all components of a movement that's happening in the country. And amazingly, I think we still have a failure of imagination. We still don't believe that it can get so much worse than it is. And people still see some of the, the stuff that the Lincoln Project says as being alarmist and exaggerations. Well, God, you were saying that about everything that has come true for the past couple of years. And at what point do we finally believe, yeah, it can keep getting worse. It can be a lot worse than it is right now. We have countries that we can look at right now and see how much worse it can get. It can be Poland, it can be Turkey, it can be Hungary. There are so many examples of what this turns into. And I think unless we're painting that picture for people all the time, this is how bad it can get. This is what the future looks like if we don't stand up. I think people have to understand what the end game is and we have to make sure that's clear. And for that, I thank Texas and I thank Florida because it gives us examples that we can hold up to people and say, this is what it will look like across the board if Newsom gets recalled in California, for example. And so I think if we can simplify things for people and show them what it looks like, I think that simplicity allows people to act. Complexity just confuses people, makes them check out. And so I feel like our role is to not just inspire people, motivate people, inform people, but to also alleviate that confusion so that people can act. And so I see, okay, all these Republican groups have people going to these school boards. Well, what are we doing? Where are we sending people? Where are the Democratic strategists sending people? Are there equivalent actions happening? Probably not, would be my guess. Because most people just want to get on about their lives. And believe me, there's nothing more I'd like to do myself than get on about my life. But that is one of the hard parts of this, right? Which is, Maya, to go back to your systems failure point, systems to work well have to be exercised. They have to be well-oiled. They have to you know, make sure all their component pieces are working. And when they're not, or when they fall into disuse, when you try and get those pieces, and I'll stop with the motor metaphor here in a second, it doesn't work right. You blow a fan belt or the radiator goes or whatever, and everybody stands around like, like I would, staring at the engine going, hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, look at that. And so, you know, we need some more, you know, mechanics in the political process. Again, I've just tortured the hell out of that. <laughs> Here, I get shift metaphors for you and talk Please. about, let's talk about relationships and the relationship that America has with itself. All good relationships start from a place of trust. And I think right now we're having a really hard time trusting each other, trusting community members, and they're stoking fear, which is obviously causing more distrust, right? So now you're like, is my neighbor going to report me? Are they going to falsely report me? Are there this? And so if we can infuse trust back into the system by actually focusing on hard facts and hard numbers so that people can see if you do X and Y, this is what it looks like in 2022, in 2024. And so that way, it's not something that we can necessarily argue. It's just data that we look at. But Lisa, let me ask you that, because that's a good point. I mean, every relationship is based in trust. And once that trust is gone, then, you know, it's very difficult to get back. And maybe it never comes back. But how do you, and I ask this because I, I struggle with this. If you know someone, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, an acquaintance, a colleague, who you know to be otherwise a good person, but you say, hey, you know, you should really get vaccinated. They're like, I don't believe it. I'm going to take ivermectin instead. 
And you're like, but you know that that's a horse dewormer. And they're like, well, I read on Facebook that it works. And I'm like, but you're not a doctor and Facebook is in a hospital. Like, it would be very difficult for me to trust that person with anything of any importance because for me, and again, I'm just speaking for myself, the baseline of their willingness to be hornswoggled by bullshit is incredibly low, which means that I have no trust in their judgment. So how do we come back for something like that? I don't think we have to come back on every individual. I think it's really important for us to remember there truly are more sane, more good, more people who believe in democracy, more people who believe in science in this country than COVID deniers and the vaccine deniers and the horse dewormer takers. That's not the majority. And it's really easy to believe they are because they're so vocal. They're the ones showing up at the school board meetings and screaming like lunatics. But that doesn't mean that there are more of them. It just means that they're more organized, they're more motivated. But I think part of being able to continue in this fight and doing this work to preserve democracy, you have to keep reminding yourself it is a numbers game and we have the numbers. All is not lost. The 2020 election wasn't that long ago. We did take the House, the Senate, and the presidency. It's like, this is not impossible stuff to do. It's hard, but it's certainly not impossible because we've already proven that. Don't focus on the people who are going to suck your energy and pull you into conversations about the benefits of ivermectin as a way to cure COVID. When you let your energy get sucked up into trying to change those minds instead of trying to motivate the people who agree with you, that's when it starts feeling like it's futile and it's not. That's a good way of looking at it because my, you know, I guess I've overlooked a big thing, which is, and, you know, surveys are a snapshot in time and we probably shouldn't trust them all that much. But we have seen with both Greg Abbott in Texas and a guy like Ron DeSantis in Florida that their public support numbers are plummeting, that, you know, a majority of Texans now see the state is on the wrong track. I think DeSantis's numbers have fallen 14 points over the last month or so. I mean, those are for political professionals. Those are terrible numbers. And, you know, many people say you shouldn't govern by poll. And I agree. You can also see that if what you're doing from a governance perspective is making a lot of people unhappy, maybe you don't do that anymore. And neither one of these guys seem to even understand anything of what their people are saying or trying to tell them because it is not about their overall support within Florida or Texas. It's how much support do I have with a very narrow, very polarized primary electorate in Texas next March or in Florida next August? I think the best thing that we can hope for, and this sounds terrible, but for them to continue to do bad things. Because attention span is so very short that if they don't continue to do bad things, we could see those poll numbers creep back up towards election time. You know, we had a guy on in Florida who's a Florida political and media guy, and he said the same thing, which was his concern would be that Floridians and Texans or Americans generally would say, you know what, like, screw it. They're not going to do it. We'll do it ourselves. You mask up, you get vaccinated, you distance, you do all the things. Numbers correspondingly come down, death rate comes down, economic activity bounces back, and then who is sitting there waiting to take the credit for it? And you're absolutely right. And that's one of these things where also maybe because we have imbued so much 
both literal and political authority within people who are supposed to be our servants and really, generally speaking, leave us alone, that we have overinflated their importance both on the upside and the downside. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, Lisa, you also mentioned something the critical mass and that there are there are more people who are sane thinkers than not. And part of that, though, concerns me, too, because we have so many sane thinkers that everybody wants to think about the best way to do this, and do that and to do this. And so as far as like a top down strategy, what happens is you've got like it's almost like an, you know, an upside down triangle and you have all of these ideas at the top and then there just becomes a bottleneck and nothing gets done because everybody's like well we got to consider this option we got to consider that option whereas on the right side the far right i should say they're dictating it to their followers and then we end up in arguments with their followers and it's like they're just copy pasting they're copy pasting at that level why are we arguing with these people who are copy pasting well we're not going to argue with them we'll see governor abbott and governor desantis almost daily I would say, for the foreseeable future. All right, so before we get out of here, Lisa, where can the listeners find you on social media? On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at LC Senecal, and I'm also at LC Senecal on Facebook. And Maya, where can everyone find you online, and what, if any, shows do you have coming up? Maya on stage on all platforms. Instagram is where I try to share more inspirational stuff and insight on how to be a better human. And on Twitter, I'm sometimes just angry, I guess. That's what it's built for, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'm trying to make sure I hit all things. And then uh, I'm headed to Missouri. I'm headed to Nevada, Missouri this week, and then to Newport News, Virginia to perform at a couple of schools. So that'll be exciting. It's rural Missouri an all-women's school, conservative school, so I'm excited. I don't know that they read my bio. Well, please let us know how that goes. be interested to hear the reviews on that one. As always, everyone, you can find me on Twitter, at Reed Galen. Lisa, Maya, I want to thank you for joining me today, and to everybody listening out there, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.